millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Some of them were just so funny and you would just have a laugh and a joke and it made your day bearable. Um, and then on the flip side, you get the not so good days. This is A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. I'm Chris Atkins, and I'm a filmmaker who was jailed for tax fraud in 2016. I got sentenced to five years, served two and a half, and I've written a book about my time in Wandsworth Prison, also called A Bit of a Stretch. In jail, I met loads of fascinating characters, and since I got out, I've recorded over 20 conversations with ex-prisoners. I've been using their stories to shine a light onto Britain's crumbling prison system. But I think it's also important to hear from prison officers. I got on pretty well with most of the officers in Wandsworth, who did a difficult and dangerous job for very little pay. So, in this episode, we're going to hear from two former officers, and their experiences reflect what I was told by many others. I'm a little bit weird. I like watching crime documentaries. Um, if a police person came around here and looked at our downloads from Sky, it's just murder and crime. This is Tess. When she was in her late 30s, she saw an advert recruiting prison officers and sent in her CV. I see the good in most people, even if they've done bad things. I just thought, you know, if I could bring some good to somebody who's doing a life sentence and make them feel like a person and try and help them to rehabilitate themselves. And what was the training like? The training should have been an alarm bell from the start, really. It was a 10-week intensive training course. But what they teach you in that 10-week course has no relevance to being a prison officer. You basically learn from scratch as soon as you get on the wing. Just tell me a bit about the, the other people on the course. All the others were a lot younger. They were just very immature and needed a lot of growing up to do. There was a young lad and he was just turned 18. He looked about 15, 16. Once you came to the end of the 10 weeks, did you feel like, I'm ready now? Or did you feel like you wanted more training? No, I think the excitement kicked in and it was like a bit of a relief. I just had no idea what was to come. You can choose your prisons. The ones that I wanted to go to were obviously local to my house. Um, but the one they sent me to was like a 95-mile round trip to get to. It was like an hour and 10-minute drive there and back. But which prison was it? Long Larton. Long Larton in Worcestershire is a Category A maximum security prison and holds some of the most dangerous inmates in the UK. 75% of the population are serving life sentences. 
It has a long history of violent disturbances. A resident is on trial right now for stabbing several officers with a makeshift knife. I was really proud to pass and wear the uniform and to rock up to my new prison. <laughs> so tell me about your first day. Oh, my first day. Wow. I left my house really excited and drove into the prison, parked up, went into the main security doors. They all just looked at me and they went, well, we don't know anything about you. I gave them my paperwork and they looked and they were like, well, it's bank holiday. There's no one in the office. There's no one here to help you. So they sent me home. They didn't even let you in the gate? No, that was my first day. So I had to drive all the way back home. How did that make you feel? Oh, I was really annoyed because I just thought this is a government establishment. Surely somebody there knew I was starting on this day. Tell me about your second day (laughs) when you actually got in. I went onto the wing. I was like a bunny in the headlights. I had no baton. I had no whistle, no security, nothing. The adrenaline was there constantly because obviously you're a new face and the guys on the wing, the prisoners, they're coming up and they're asking you questions and you've got to be really careful what you say back. You don't want to give out your information. They picked out where I was from straight away by my accent. There was a lot of guys from Birmingham on my wing and to be fair, they were a godsend. A godsend? They helped me a lot, yeah. How did they help you? You have different tasks to do on a wing and one of the tasks is you have to mark off the prisoners' names going out to work. There's a lot of names to remember. So a couple of them would help me with the names. That's Smith, that's Jones. Yeah. Tess had to rely on the help from inmates as prisons are woefully understaffed. From 2010, the government cut about 10,000 prison officers, a reduction of around 30%, while the number of prisoners stayed constant. At the same time, officers have had to deal with new challenges, including the massive rise in the use of mobile phones. I estimated that there was a phone for every other prisoner. This is Evan. He was actually a senior officer at Wandsworth Prison, though he'd left the service before I was sentenced. I think there was six, seven hundred phones in Bonsworth when I worked there. And I did an adjudication one day, and as a prisoner, he was caught with a mobile phone. And he came in, he said, yeah, I had a mobile phone, but the only person I've ever called is my mum in America. At the times I'm out of my cell, my mum is at work, because of the time difference. And we'd checked the SIM card, we could see he'd phoned one number. So he was telling the truth? He was telling the truth. And yet, he'd broken the prison rules, and it seemed ridiculous to me Some of the phones are used for bad things, but mostly they're used for normal purposes because we all use phones all the time for normal purposes. Did you find it frustrating there were so many rules that you were trying to enforce? No, because we didn't enforce most of the rules, to be honest with you. (laughs) There were some real oddities. Remember one time I was was on a D-Hall Sunday afternoon and this prisoner came up and he said, why can't we have a tin opener on a Sunday afternoon? You've bought yourself some tin pairs or you've got yourself some tuna on your canteen. It's the one day when actually you want your tins open. We didn't let them have tin openers. We were like, well, why is it all? And none of us knew. And probably at some point in history, it made sense. In 1963, <laughs> Charles Bronson had, had used the, the lid of something to take someone hostage, and, and therefore this was now the rule at Wandsworth. There are thousands of prison rules. Many make no sense whatsoever. My digital watch was confiscated because it had a stopwatch function on. I still have no idea why. All of these rules come with mountains of paperwork, which can sometimes dissuade officers from pulling their weight. 
honestly, I've never seen so much paperwork. Cell searches, for example, you're doing a cell search, if you find something, you have to document it, and so much paperwork. I was put on cell searches in my first few months, and the people I was supposed to be cell searching with would just sit on a bed and watch TV. That actually happened to us. There was a couple of officers who used to walk in, and we had extra kettles and few t-shirts we weren't supposed to have <laughs> and they'd say smoke them if you've got them and my mate got an ashtray out and they just have a fag yeah and gossip with us and go right that's cell searched and walk out they just can't be bothered if something's kicked off like there was a, a big fight on our wing and there was weapons involved prison officers would have to run to that alarm bell nobody wants to be the first on the scene because you get lumbered with all the paperwork so you don't want to be the first to arrive because the first person to arrive has to do the, the forms. Has to do most of the forms, yeah. So does that mean people would slightly hold back? Yeah, sometimes when the alarm bell goes, you see some people that pretend to run and then they sort of drop back a little bit. Did you feel, obviously going back to what you said at the start, that you wanted to go and you wanted to help people and sort of make a difference? Did you feel you were making a difference sometimes? No, because the system is so broken. I don't think there's any way for prison officers to be able to do that. I mean, certainly from my point of view, sometimes when an officer would just go out of their way to get you out, you'd say, just, just, go, could I have a shout? And they'd get you out for a shower. Yeah. Can I just call my son and they'd let you call your son? Just little things, isn't it? Makes a massive Absolutely. difference. But they're people, you know. There was a guy on my wing and I think if circumstances were different we would be really good pals he was brilliant he was such a nice guy you were getting on better with some of the prisoners than you were with the officers yeah they made your day some of them were just so funny and you would just have a laugh and a joke and and it made your day bearable without them being on that wing I think I would have quit a lot sooner (laughs) once I'd settled in Wandsworth I got on very well with most of the officers on my wing. They were very overworked, so needed trusted prisoners to help keep the place running. In return, I'd get more time out of my cell and an easier life. Yeah, you've always got your, your go-to prisoners. Um, there's trusted pri- there's I'm doing inverted commas with my fingers. There's trusted prisoners who are generally the least trustworthy prisoners in the prison, but they're the ones you go to to get all sorts of things done. There's one prisoner and he was he was the hot plate number one there but he could achieve absolutely anything he could achieve things i could never have achieved as a as a sort of senior officer there i probably had more in common with lots of prisoners than i did with staff i'd see people out in the street and they'd, they'd come up and they'd say hello and you'd, you'd have quite friendly chats with them oh so they wouldn't come up and take a swing at you or no i had released the prisoner so i'd signed him out he'd gone out at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon and that night I was going for a drink in a pub in Brixton and I went into the toilet and this bloke <laughs> stood there and he goes, do you want to buy any drugs? And I looked at him and I said, I'd let you out of Brixton two hours ago, mate, what are you doing? No, he goes, but you know, every, everyone's into it, isn't they, Gov? So you, you didn't score? You didn't score then? Didn't score that night, no. It's no secret that prisons are saturated with drugs. The narcotics trade inside is so lucrative that some people deliberately get incarcerated just to smuggle in supplies. Ewan often found it impossible to stamp out the drugs trade on his wings. The people that used to give us the best intelligence would be the big drug dealers. Really? Yeah, so if you're selling all the drugs on A-Wing, the last thing you want is another prisoner coming in and starting to do that. So as soon as they do, um, you let the staff know. God. Because it's much easier to get us to move someone out than you to have to deal with it. The biggest issue used to be when a major drug dealer left or got caught. 
we would create a massive void in terms of who ran the drug trade in the prison. And suddenly you've got four or five understudies from different parts of London who are saying, well, now I'm going to try and take it over. And all hell would break loose for a few weeks. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. They try to deny that it was on the wing. They try to deny that it's actually in the prison, but it's absolutely rife in prison with spice. This one day, me and my colleague, we opened up the cell and we realised the guy in there was in an absolute bad way. And it was one of the prisoners I got on with and just trying to help him to not do the drugs because his kids had basically turned around and said, if you don't, <laughs> we're not going to come and see you. So... This one day, I've never seen somebody look the way he looked and it put the fear of God up me. He, he was grey, he was shaking. So I lay him down on his bed and I just started feeling really, really weird. You were feeling weird? Really lightheaded, I felt sick, I was shaking. We were that bad, they called an ambulance out to us and they were like, yeah, it's basically spies. We'd inhaled it. Just by being in the same room as all that? We weren't allowed to drive, so we, we got brought home. Had the next day off, because uh, I still felt really bad. Throbbing headache and my throat was really sore. Did anyone call you and say, look, are you OK? They called constantly because they wanted you back in work. That was the only reason. They didn't care how you were feeling. I was panicking because my car was still at the prison, so I phoned my line manager and I was just like, look, I've got no way of getting back into work. And he was like, just get a taxi, um, we'll reimburse you. Got the taxi, 75 quid later, and they refused to pay me back for the taxi. My line manager at the time, he basically pulled me to one side and said, I'm having a warning for being off sick. I'm sorry? Yeah, you heard. <laughs> After you'd inhale spice Yeah. doing your job? Yeah. In Wandsworth, there was plenty of bitching and backstabbing among the officers. Friendly screws would often come to my cell to slag off their colleagues. In Long Latin, Tess found the simmering workplace tensions increasingly difficult to deal with. 
There are some officers that just talk down to you like you're a piece of shit on, on their shoe. What are you supposed to do when that's someone who's meant to have your back and then talks to you like a piece of dirt in front of prisoners? You don't want to cry in front of the prisoners because it's like you don't want to show a weakness. I just went off and knocked myself in the toilet for like 10, 15 minutes until I'd calmed down. You'd expect it to be that the prisoners were the problem. And the governors, the just governors just didn't give a damn. The lady who was in charge of the prison at that time was just horrible. And she changed things a lot and obviously rattled the prisoners because they were used to having certain privileges like family day. Um, where they could spend visiting time with their kids and then she took that away from them as well. Because that, for me, that was all you looked forward to. She took it away and not long after that, there was a, a riot at the prison. Please tell me about the riot. That was the worst day of my life. So I was up at four. I had to be on my wing for half six. The whole day was going fine. My shift was supposed to finish at 5pm. First alarm bell goes about quarter to five. Next thing you know, there's another alarm bell and they're calling people onto F-Wing again. And you know this isn't good when there's been two alarm bells. So we locked all the prisoners away. So the trouble wasn't on your wing, but you had to lock everyone away? Yeah. All the prisoners are getting excited because they know something bad's kicking off. The time now was probably about 7, 8 o'clock. So I'm sitting on the wing thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. I've got no way of letting my other half know. I can't get home because you are not allowed to leave the prison until whatever's gone on is finished. What had happened there? Just people got out of control or? There'd been a massive riot on F-Wing. There was pool balls and cues being thrown at staff. Some of the staff got quite injured. Half three in the morning, it had finished basically and thinking, oh my God, I've got an hour and 10 minute drive home. I don't know how I got home without crashing my car because I was falling asleep driving home. And at that point, you start to think, what am I doing? Because I had no spare time. I'd get home, go straight to bed and get up seven, eight hours later and go straight back to the prison. How were you dealing with the stress? I felt for my other half because I would get home and sometimes I would tell him how my day was and sometimes I just didn't want to talk about it because it was just horrible. So what you would say, everything's fine and it wasn't? Yeah, pretty much, because I just didn't want to dump it all on him because it's, it wasn't fair. But then there's also a... I'm guessing, a downside of keeping it bottled up. It comes out at some point, and I think being there put a little bit of a, a strain on the relationship because I was never home. I've talked a lot about the effect that prison has on inmates' mental health. But the terrible conditions also severely impact the staff, who get very little support. I often felt very sorry for the officers in Wandsworth, who had to deal with extreme trauma on a daily basis. We had quite a few suicides in, in my time. And it's, a, it's, it's frightening how quickly you become desensitised to that sort of stuff. There were things that happened that I think massively impacted me. So I remember, you know, as a prisoner who self-harmed in front of me, I can still see that clearly today. You know, if I, even just talking about it now, I, I can see exactly how his arm looked and it was, it was horrible. There was loads of things like that happened. I think probably I had a, had a minor bit of PTSD from it, you know, from that incident. I'd be getting these parole reports and they were horrific to read. And Why were they horrific? Because it talked about the crime. Yeah, the, the graphic detail about crimes that, that no one should read or, or know about. And that, that was hard. And you didn't get any real support with them. 
Somebody said, oh, do you know who that person is? I'm like, no. And then they brought up their file. And this was on my third or fourth day. And I sat in the office and I read their file and I have never read anything so horrendous in my life. It takes a lot to creep me out, but there was a few prisoners that I just thought I would never want to be in a room alone with you. I was on the late shift and when you're on the late shift, you're on your own on the wing. They're all locked up and you have to go around again, do roll check. When I got to the top floor, there was one prisoner. I knew why he was in there. I looked through the window and he was there with his pants down and he was playing with him. Yeah, you oh know, I don't need to really say it. And I no, was no, absolutely livid. And basically, I arrested him. You, you have the powers of the police when you're a prison officer. For indecent exposure? Or? Yeah, I didn't think something like that would make me feel the way I did. I felt absolutely violated. And then we had a morning meeting and... The staff were told he wasn't allowed to come out of his cell. I turned around and next thing you know, somebody had let him out of his cell. And there wasn't a locked door between you at this point? No, You're no, there, he was there face. right next to me, yeah. This guy, he's a lot bigger than me. If he wanted to harm me, he could, no problem. I was that angry, I was shaking. I went to my governors and said, you know, you need to move him off the wing. And they were like, no, not doing it. Why not? Because I don't know if it was too much hassle. Cost or... yeah. And that, for me, was just like, you know what, sod this. That was the final straw for me. I think it all then, everything from the last 12 months had just come out. I my doctors and my doctor signed me off so I didn't go back. What, for stress? Yeah. How did you feel once you knew you weren't going back? Was a sense of relief? A relief. My other half just hugged me. He went, thank God for that. He said I couldn't go through that again. He didn't say anything to me at the time because it's what I wanted to do and he supported me 100%. Yeah. But when I told him that I'd handed him my notice, he was as much relieved as I was. If anyone turned around to me now and said they want to be a prison officer, I'd tell them not to bother. It's horrendous. The pay is horrendous. Do you mind me asking what the wages were in your first year? I was working at £9.30 an hour. Having seen what the job entails, I'm staggered that that's all they pay. What happened to the rest of your class who, who did that 10-week training with you? Probably about 98, 99% of them are not doing that job anymore. I think they all quit within the first couple of months. I think it cost the government between 20 and £22,000 to train up somebody from a civilian to be a prison officer. And for, for what? For most of them to leave within the first year. What they should do is the money that they've pumped into training people to quit they should pump it into the staff that are already there, that have got the experience and the knowledge and, and look after them a bit better and give them the, the, the stuff that they need in that prison to, to do that job. Tess and Ewan's stories represent a widespread disillusionment among many prison officers. In 2018, the government admitted that a third of officers quit within a year of starting. In March 2020, coronavirus shut down the world, which took a hammer blow to an already collapsing prison system. I've been in contact with several inmates throughout the lockdowns, and I recorded their phone calls about conditions inside. So, that's what we're going to talk about next time, and expose how the pandemic unfolded in prisons. And was there any social distancing in the showers? No, not at all. At least half of the wing 
got infected. They literally locked them in their cell for two and a half weeks and didn't come out at all. This has been A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. It was written and produced by me, Chris Atkins. It was also produced by Victoria Hollingsworth. The music is by Vincent Watts. The sound mix was by Stephen Goldsmith. Since this podcast was recorded, some of these contributors have gone back inside, some of them several times. So I've written another book to find out why so many ex-prisoners re-offend again and again. It follows a colourful cast of criminals who just can't go straight, some of whom you'll recognise from this podcast. The book is called Time After Time, and it's available now.